It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. What's happening, Better Faster Podcast listeners? Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. Today, Josh and I are talking about alcohol. And I know this topic is probably common sense to a lot of our audience because most of your clinicians are coaches. But what we really wanted to do was talk about the significance of how alcohol consumption affects training. So some of the things we talked about are how it affects your sleep, hormonal profiles, and your hydration status. And really, at the very least, what we hope you get out of this episode is that you address alcohol consumption with your patients or your clients to some degree if you're not already. Hope you enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. We are coming off of Thanksgiving weekend. Hope everyone had a wonderful holiday. Got to spend some time with families. But today's episode also piggybacks on Thanksgiving. We talked about games last week, and we know there was probably maybe a little indulgence um, over the course of the last few days. Well, today we're talking about alcohol alcohol consumption, because I know if your family's anything like mine, then there's going to be some alcohol consumed over the Thanksgiving holiday. So uh, we're going to dive into alcohol. Um, some of the potential positives that you may see. We all see those studies about red wine, um, you know, having daily red wine. And we'll also talk about maybe some of the negatives, how it could impact things like body composition and performance. So uh, today's episode is going to be diving into some of the details there. But Brandon, how was your Thanksgiving? Man, my Thanksgiving was good, but I'm still reeling from the ass whipping Clinton gave us over the weekend. I know, man. I, I, you know, to tell you the truth, like I know there's no such thing as moral victories and you never want to hang your head on that. I was proud of the effort though. Um, you know, I thought, um, I, I thought everybody played pretty hard, man. Um, and you know, you never want to, you know, kind of have a caveat or an asterisk by, um, by any performance, but man, the, the injury bug has bit a lot of certain positions. So, and that was pretty evident. And then there still is a little bit of a talent gap there, but I thought they played pretty hard. Yeah, man, I, I they got starched again. I turned the game off in the second half again. But um, yeah, I know. I, yeah, again, I agree with you. No moral victories. Uh, you, you know, Jake Bentley put up some video game numbers, 500 yards. But man, I, I got to wonder about those injuries on that defensive roster. I mean, we're talking like what 13 or 14. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be it could be a lightning strike coincidence. But I wonder if it might not be some kind of preparation or conditioning problem as well. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, I you know the when I was lucky enough to be in the strength and conditioning department at USC, uh, it was with the um, the staff that was here prior, who's now at Arizona State, who got a big win over Arizona. 
um, this past weekend. But um, so I don't know uh, much of the staff there now. Um, but there are some people that are saying that needs to be evaluated. That the sports medicine staff needs to be evaluated. Um, I think you know again, I'm, I think I'm a little biased. I think there should be a more of a physical therapy uh, presence. Um, within the sports medicine staff at most universities, but um, that might just be me. Um, but yeah, I think they've got a lot of a lot of things to do to look in the mirror. I think there might be a trend in the right direction here, um, at least. On, I, I I like to think so, and maybe I'm a little optimistic there. But uh, hopefully, one of these years we can uh, get back on the winning side. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, I, I believe as it stands, USC is still like the only SEC school that does not have that physical therapy presence. Um, mm-hmm on staff. So it'd be real interesting to, to see if we can kind of push that ahead into, into this century. Yeah. I don't think it's going to hurt anything, man. And I don't want to take anything away from the staff that's been there or been there for a while or anything like that. But I think um, uh, providing a different perspective is rarely a bad thing. Oh, hundred percent. I'm completely biased. I definitely think they should have some PTs on staff. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to play. I'm trying I, got, to play. I got no problem putting that out there. <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, um, alcohol. Um, I don't know about <laughs> you, man, but um, I, I had the uh, you know a couple beers, uh, you know, wine with dinner, um, that kind of thing over the last few days. And um, man, I, I felt it. Um, in addition to maybe some overindulgence and some food, but um, it really does play a role with me, man. And I think that it's an, an important concept that I end up addressing with a with a fair number of athletes, even really high level clients that I work with that are really high level performers. Um, I have to address the the alcohol component. Um, is this something that you talk about with patients too, when they, when they come see you? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, it is, it is something that is on their paperwork. Um, not only on their paperwork, but it's something that, uh, we, we definitely talk about in the conversation, uh, on the first day, especially. And man, I know this is going to be common sense for our listeners for this episode, but if I had a dime for every time a patient told me that they chased a pain pill with alcohol, I'd, I'd have a lot of dimes. I mean, cause it, I mean, that's flirting with death. I mean, we're talking respiratory failure. These are CNS depressants. And, you know, that's definitely a phone call to the physician when that happens. And I will snitch on that all day long. But, yeah, it's definitely something we want to ask about for sure. Yeah, man. Well, what about all these articles that tell, you, tell me if I drink some wine every day, I'm actually um, <laughs> doing my body good. What do you have to say about all that? Man, I, I, really, I really don't know um, what the latest is on that. I, I know that there, the, the, the scientific claim for years and years has been that it raises your HDLs to some degree. I don't even know if it's that beneficial. Um, but my question to that is, you know, uh, does, does the benefit outweigh the risk? I mean, are we just trading out our heart health for our liver health there? Does it even matter? Um, you know, that if you got any insight on that, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. I think maybe if you look in uh, at certain parameters, there could be a positive benefit, but we know that um, there are definitely some, some negative side effects of alcohol consumption, both from acute alcohol consumption on things like athletic performance, but also from chronic alcohol um, consumption. I think most people kind of have that general belief around it, but I'm also not somebody that every athlete that comes to me and, uh, you know, has this on their paperwork that they consume a little alcohol here and there. I'm not one to tell them that, Hey, you got to cut this out completely. My big thing is, you know, if they're of age, you know, they're adults that can make their own decisions here. I just try to provide enough education to where that they really understand what's going on. And if they have very specific goals, I try to outline why consuming alcohol might be, you know, either keeping them from those goals, depending on the, the, the quantity really of alcohol consumption, maybe, or, it, or how it may be hindering their, their progress towards those goals. So I think it's something you have to take, you know, 
individually with each person. Uh, but there are definitely some areas in which alcohol can really have some consequences uh, for people that may have some health and fitness goals. Oh yeah, for sure. And that, that was actually my, one of my first questions to you, because I know you do food logs with mm-hmm. your clients. I know you address this to everyone. Uh, but my question was, do your top athletes, do they drink? The ones that actually win competitions, the ones that are actually you know getting money and getting to travel and getting to you know be at the top of the game. Yeah, man, there is a, a wide range of that, man. I have, I've had, uh, you know, food logs that come back to me from high level athletes that, that have a, I want to say significant amount of alcohol consumption. When I say um, they have, you know, significant, I mean, like it's daily, it's multiple drinks a day. I don't, I don't rarely get that necessarily from somebody from that. That's, that's really more of a high level performer. Um, there's probably people out there that can pull that off, but I do have, you know, uh, you know, the occasional athlete that will have a a drink or two most nights of the week, maybe the majority of nights of the week, Uh, maybe not drinking to excess, but every so often, but you know, somebody might enjoy a little bourbon, you know, and have uh, some, some nice whiskey, uh, you know, in the evenings after they, they get home from work, maybe they train in the morning, they go to work and it's kind of their, their little nightcap or, or maybe they're, uh, they're more of a wine connoisseur, or maybe they're in their relationship. Their significant other is, is a, a very into, you know, drinking different wines and trying different wines. And, and so they, uh, you know, play along and go along with it too. I've had that as well. Um, so I would say that most aren't significant um, in their alcohol consumption, but it does come up. And then, you know, you have the people who are so dialed in that if they are, you know, death, almost deathly afraid of having alcohol because they're, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, they're also deathly afraid of having, um, you know, a piece of candy around Halloween. You know, you get the people who are that far on that end of the spectrum too. So it does range. Sometimes it's on there. If it is, I just have to really dig into the quantity um, and, uh, and then kind of go from there on whether I think it's something that we need to really address well sure well, well with that said um you know speaking of I guess, I guess start with the ones you said that may have a bourbon at night mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about let's dive into how that might affect sleep and how that can kind of potentially create a whole cascade of events that probably aren't the best thing yeah, man. Um, we know that alcohol can disrupt sleep. It can interfere with sleep patterns. It can reduce time spent more in that uh, deep, restful sleep. And and we know that um, sleep and deep sleep is when we get the highest secretion of growth hormone. Um, and, and we know, we've talked multiple times on here, on the importance of growth hormone, especially in re- repair and recovery as, we're, uh, as we go through you know, intense training. Um, it becomes even more important. And, and there's some evidence to show that, that alcohol consumption can um, decrease the sec- secretion of uh, uh, growth hormone by up to, I think, 70% was the last thing wow. I looked into it, which is a pretty significant number. Again, I think that varies very much individually in terms of you know the size of the individual the amount of consumption that kind of thing it, it really can vary but we know for a high level athlete the last thing we want is really to um, have a a you know, impaired sleep and impaired growth hormone secretion. I think that's so important that, you know, that alone might be something might be a red flag for you. If you're finding yourself, um, you know, struggling to recover um, that, that, you know, that's one aspect. Um, So sleep is so important and it's the most anabolic thing you can do. And we're hurting that a little bit, maybe with alcohol consumption. 
damn, 70%. I want all that growth hormone. Yeah, man. I'll have to find that article and we'll see if we can link it in the show notes or something like that. Or if somebody messaged with me, I'll find, uh, I'll try to find that article. But um, yeah, that's, that's a huge thing. And we also, you know, similarly, we're talking about from a hormone perspective, we know that alcohol affects testosterone and that is, um, you know, serum testosterone levels being lower in, in high level athletes is not, not ideal. So uh, again, it, it's one of those things that if you really do have these higher in performance um, aspirations. That's something that we, we want to make sure that we're, uh, you know, evaluating, you know, are we really taking every measure to make sure that we're, we're getting the most out of our training, we're recovering from our training, that way we can see, you know, the most adaptation that we can from that training. And, and if we're consuming alcohol, and it's affecting those things, then uh, we might be spinning our wheels a little bit. Yeah, man. Um, in addition to lowering your tea, can it also increase a male's estrogen too? I mean, essentially, there, there, there are certain types of beers that have been shown to do that more than others, supposedly. That might be bro science, but I hear the IPAs are the worst. I know they're the worst tasting. Yeah, you know, honestly, that's a whole nother conversation if we wanted to go into, uh, you know, uh, which, which beers are our favorite. Um, I'm not an IPA uh, uh, connoisseur either, to tell you the truth. Um, I'm basic, man. Just give me the basic light beer. I don't know if I have a, a sophisticated enough palate, but that's a whole different, uh, whole different thing. But you're right. If there is um, anything that's going to disrupt, you know, hormone balance or a hormone profile, it's probably not something that we, uh, that we want to indulge in too frequently if we're really trying to focus on, um, you know, performance or, or any kind of, you know, health related goal. Yeah, man. And, and I, I really, I don't want to sound too preachy on this episode because, you know, that's, that's the main reason it's the performance aspects. That's why I don't really drink hardly ever anymore. Um, I haven't, I haven't really haven't overindulged in years. I mean, I think it was like maybe three or four New Year's Eve ago, um, man, the hangovers would last like two whole days. It was the worst. And then after we had our daughter, I decided I didn't want her to ever see me drunk. So I would just limit myself like one craft beer. We went out to dinner on the weekends, but now I'm paying a lot of money for coaching and programming and I'm investing a lot of time and resources in the training. And man, I'm taking a stance that if it's not a performance answer, I'm not putting it in my body. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, the approach that uh, a lot of my athletes end up taking, especially when I provide education on some of the effects. When we talk about, um, you know, impairments in muscle growth, um, which, you know, and, and, and repair. And we talk, you know, we always talk about, you know, like that ratio of protein synthesis to protein degradation. We're having like build up versus breakdown when we're a performance athlete or, or we have any of these aspirations trying to build, you know, lean muscle mass. We're trying to recover from resistance training or intense workouts. Well, you know, we want that protein synthesis high and we know that, um, alcohol can diminish, um, you know, protein synthesis, um, you know, short-term, but especially long-term alcohol consumption. Um, and then you look into um, dehydration. Um, we know that at, you know, when we talk about um, dehydration and its effects on performance, even a 1% or 2% um, you know, dehyd- level of dehydration can have significant effects on performance. And we know that um, you know, athletes that you know, consume alcohol um, – they, you know, they can be slightly dehydrated and have slight electrical electrolyte imbalances because um, you know alcohol is a, a, a pretty powerful diuretic. Um, so, so when we talk about those two things, and then you know, um, <clears throat> we we talk about performance from just like you know, there's been research on performance following like a hangover or like the day after, and I've seen studies that show um, perform, you know. I'm looking at more aerobic performance capacity. That seems will be a lot of the research has looked into uh, of decrements of, of as much as like 10 or 11%, you know, following a, a day of drinking. Um, now that, you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt again, because it's hard to, you know, it's going to affect everyone slightly differently. But, you know, for me, if I'm, you know, going out on a Friday, I'm trying to train Saturday morning. Um, 
you know, that's not ideal either. So, you know, maybe I'm not going to the CrossFit games, but at the same time, you know, I don't, I want to be able to get the most out of my, my training session the next day or two. So I think that's important to look at all of those different areas and kind of evaluate, okay, what, you know, how important is consuming, you know, alcohol, you know, for, you know, to my life. And then how, you know, how important are those other goals? And then am I, you know, all those things lining up? Because if they're not all, you know, on the same page or going the same direction, then, you know, we might want to change something. Oh yeah, for sure, man. And and I, and I like that point you made about how it's, it's not, it's not just the, the day after the hangover. I mean, this stuff can affect you, you know, days into the week. If we're on Friday, you still be having some detrimental effects, you know, up to, you know, Wednesday, Thursday of the next week, even when you're not even feeling it anymore. So that's, that's an important concept. Um, but you know, I like, I like to make sure we're hitting on both sides of things. And, um, I guess just, just trying to figure out a scenario where alcohol can be a performance enhancing, uh, drug, I guess. Um, man, I went to college with some crazy wrestlers and they were good. They were good. We had a couple all Americans and there was one in particular, and I think I might've talked about this on a past episode, but he would use alcohol as part of his weight cut. Basically he drink the night before a match or a tournament. And it wasn't only just to dehydrate himself, but it was also just to like to deal with the misery of cutting weight in general. And if, if you've never done that before, it, it is an unfortunate part of the sport. It sucks. Um, but I guess that's how he dealt with it. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm sure that he probably wreaked havoc on his body in a lot of different ways, probably kidneys and liver there too, but is what it is. Yeah, man. And I think that, um, for me, it, uh, you're right. There, there might be situations where, um, it could be, I, I, nece- I don't want to say it's ever necessary, but where it could be something that is is appropriate or, or okay or something where it's, I'm not, um, you know, going to harp on it too much with that individual. It could be something like that where it's, there is um, a little bit of a mindset component with it and it, it's a way they actually do reduce stress. And if it's the, if it's done so in an appropriate manner, which is, you know, done safely and within, you know, kind of constraints, you know, it's not overdone and something like that. Or if it's part of a social situation where it's like, you know what, I go on date night with my wife every Friday night and we like to go to a nice restaurant and she likes to get wine. So I have a, a couple glasses of wine. Like, you know, if it's part of something like that, or, or, you know, I, I like to go watch, you know, I like to tailgate before the football game with friends and I end up having a couple of beers, you know, the, you know, when it's, when something like that, that allows the person to, um, you know, engage socially in a manner that they, they want or need to, and, and it's, it's still controlled or in moderation, then, you know, I think it can still be fine. Um, I think it's really the more those top end performance when you're really chasing those, those last couple percent, that's when you need every box checked. So not just the alcohol box, you need every box checked. So I think this is just one part of that. Sure. Another thing too with that is I definitely, you know, think in this case and in a lot of different cases with, you know, top athletes, some people win in spite of things like, you know, drinking night before a game. We hear that all the time, like with NFL, things like that. There's all kinds of stories, but not because of what they did. Um, Gosh, what's another extreme example? If you watch MMA, John Jones, he had like a a Coke bench the night before he beat DC for a world championship. And again, that was in spite of not because of doing that. So definitely not condoning that kind of behavior, but just an example. Yep. And I think that's why I try to take each, 
situation, each athlete, each client, each patient, every single person, you know, they're an N equals one. I need to evaluate how their potential alcohol consumption fits into their life with their goals, you know, look, looking into, you know, all aspects of their life, including what, are, you know, what do I need to make sure they're doing nutritionally um, from a recovery standpoint, but also socially and being able that they're, that they're, you know, able to manage stress appropriately. You know, I've got to look at the whole picture for that individual and then evaluate, okay, is their alcohol intake, which again, I'm like you, I have it on my initial paperwork. I get all that information. I ask further questions on it. I dig deeper. Um, maybe my clients think I'm, my athletes think I'm a little nosy because I, I mean, I ask a ton of follow-up questions to all of our paperwork. Uh, but you know, I, I got to make sure that I'm, I'm looking at the whole picture and seeing, okay, does this fit in here? And you know, sometimes it just takes a little bit of some tweaking, not necessarily like pulling it out or saying yes or no on things, but, you know, finding ways to ensure that they're staying hydrated, that they're, um, you know, maybe limiting it or, you know, how to handle it, you know, social situations where alcohol may be present, um, you know, how to, you know, basically how to do so safely and still keeping their goals in mind, you know, it, so it's not always a, Hey, you need to stop drinking kind of thing. You know, you just have to take each person mm -hmm. individually and try to figure out, okay, what's going to work best for this individual. Um, you know, when I, when I'm have the whole picture in mind. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's that's how it is with everyone. I mean, you have to deal with personal, individual basis because, you know, people have people have their own beliefs, their own philosophies, and you know, some people have vices and addictions too. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's going to be outside of your scope as a coach or as a physical therapist. And you also need to have some good people in your corner that you can refer them to. That's exactly what I was going to say, man. You got to recognize too if there's if there really is a problem in some way. Um, you know, that's not something to. Um, you know, to take lightly. Um, it's something to try to recognize. And if you have that relationship that you develop with that person as their coach or as their PT, and you're digging deeper and asking these questions and, and showing them that you really care and, and, you know, giving them a space to maybe open up a little bit more about those things, you might uncover uh, some situations that, you know, will require you to refer out or, or get somebody else involved. And, and, and having those people, you know, like you mentioned in your corner or, or knowing where you can send people if needed is very important as a practitioner or a coach, because you will come on, you know, athletes, clients, patients that have some, some, maybe some things that they also need some further help with that are outside of our scope. So um, make sure, may, always making sure that you have this network of individuals or you know what to do if you ever find yourself in that situation. Boom. Well stated. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you never want to play around with that kind of stuff, man. If, it, right. if it's something where you're even questioning whether you should maybe reach out for a little bit of help, it, it's better safe than sorry. And, and really making sure that you're, you're doing the best that you can for that person. Yeah, man, it is, it is so much more common than I ever thought it was. Um, people that do have issues with alcohol addiction. Um, I just, I learned, I learned about it more and more, you know, people kind of confide in me, um, as, as I get older and that kind of thing. So, uh, don't ever assume. And again, make sure that you have people you can refer to or people you can talk to as well. With that. Yeah, man. And you know, that's kind of, that's like a little bit of a somber note as we're finishing up here. And you know <laughs> that, that can be, you know, that is something very serious, but um, I think for each individual, it's just my, it's really more about um, for them just evaluating really, okay, why are you even in the gym? What do you want to get out of your training? What are you trying to, if you know, if you're recovering from an injury, you're, you're in PT right now, you're seeing a physical therapist for something, you know, are you doing everything you can to ensure that you're setting yourself up to, to, you know, heal, recover, get better, whatever you, you're doing as, as fast as possible? You know, does, does your lifestyle reflect what you say your goals are? Um, you know, you may state that you have these goals, but does your lifestyle reflect that? And, and, you know, as a practitioner, if you're, or a coach, if you're, 
you're not, you know, diving into this area with, with your patients or your clients or your athletes, it's something maybe that you might want to start asking those questions. And sometimes these can be awkward conversations or hard conversations to start. And I think that's why putting it on initial paperwork is a great place to start. I put all my awkward questions there, man. Um, you know, I've got, you know, everything talking about from alcohol to, you know, sometimes a little bit more past medical history, even as a coach, like things that are, might be relevant to me to, you know, talking about, um, you know, menstrual cycles. I mean, you, you can go like, I have all that stuff on my paperwork because it's so important to really understand um, when you're, you know, again, looking at the whole person. So um, if you're not asking about those things, maybe think about um, incorporating that into your practice. Yeah, absolutely. And the other part of that too is don't just depend on the paperwork because half the time people don't even read it. They just check boxes. Um, yeah. So ma make sure that it, it gets, it gets discussed in the questioning. I mean, I hope, I hope, especially if you listen to this podcast that you're, you're asking people, you know, how they sleeping at night, at least touching on nutrition. And with that talk about nutrition, that's probably where we want to get into having discussion about alcohol and start peeling back the layers. Um, you know, if you, if you do it the right way, and, you know, have a conversation where you're not just, you know, making it feel like a formal interview. It's a good way to really get to know your patients on a personal level. They open up to you and it can actually really help with the whole treatment process um, because they're going to trust you as a provider when it comes down to it. Boom. Anything you want to add? Man, that's, uh, that's, that's all I got. I think that's probably a good note to, to end on. Mm, yeah, man. I think, uh, I think we touched on a lot of good things there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess when it comes to, uh, high level CrossFit winning competitions. If, if you booze, you lose, right? Yeah. I, I'd say that's probably a pretty good rule of thumb there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, before we seconds, leave us a five to those DMS coming. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about on future episodes and that's it. We'll be back next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.